hello, mate. How are you doing? Yeah, good, thanks. Not uh, too bad. We're surviving. <laughs> yeah, I think we all are at the moment. Getting to the light at the end of the tunnel now, so all good. Um, yeah, so, uh, sorry, I cut you off there. That's a really good start to the interview. <laughs> uh, so, Joe, would you like to introduce yourself? Who are you and uh, what do you do? So, yeah, I, my name is Joe Williams. I work at Locker 27. I head up the coaching team there. Um, Locker 27 is a strength and conditioning facility in Weybridge in Surrey. Um, we're lucky enough that we have um, a great facility that was uh, started by Matt Church, who was the founder. Um, that has been going about 10 years, well, exactly 10 years now. And again, we're lucky enough to have a great range of kit and to work with a huge variety of people from kind of everyday weekend warriors to people that are performing at really high performance kind of sports. So um, on top of that, we do a lot of work with schools and we run our own youth academy. So it's a pretty varied kind of mixture. Oh, nice. So how did you get into the whole S&C athlete support? Like, how did you get into that kind of world and that lifestyle? Well, I think the main thing is uh, I had a very good sporting background as a kid. Like, I was a superbly average rugby player, um, as I think everyone is with aspirations of doing quite well. But obviously, you know, wasn't 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 cut out for it. But when I was uh, sixteen, I had a pretty fifteen sixteen, I had a pretty major knee injury where I ruptured a few things and, and tore it apart a little bit. And then from there, actually, I started to look at reasons as to why that might have happened and how I could prevent it happening again. Um, and that's when I started down the, the pathway of, of being interested in, in training and, and training science and all that kind of stuff. And it didn't really help. I've had another three subsequent major operations to my knee, but <laughs> the, uh, the intent was there, and that was what really sparked the whole thing. Uh, and from there, it was, it was kind of a way to keep involved in sport when I stopped playing rugby at 22 after uni, um, by which point I'd done my, um, my undergraduate in sports science and then my postgraduate in strength conditioning. So. Cool. So that's, I mean, that's, I mean, it's sad that it kind of came about through the injury. Um, but I guess what it's given you is it's, I guess it gave you that ability to still stay in sport. And I think that's, that's so important. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, looking back, obviously, you know, you don't, you never want to get hurt at the time, but no. a big part of it for me was I felt that the training I'd received and some of the rehab stuff that I maybe had wasn't, looking back on it, I know it wasn't particularly brilliant, and I also know that had it been better, I might have been in a better situation to continue playing sports at, you know, a slightly older age or whatever that might be. Um, and I think a big part of, of doing what I do now was, especially with in terms of youth development, is I feel that it's a huge window that many people miss in terms of not just longevity in sport, but longevity uh, as a person and, and being healthy and actually being able to do those things. You know, you still want to be able to play a game and pick up basketball at 45. Yeah. Um, and if you can't do that thing, then maybe you didn't look after yourself well enough in, in the early days, potentially. I mean, who knows? But I feel it's a, it's a really important thing. Yeah, and I think I was kind of, you know, touch with fortunate enough that I didn't pick up any kind of big injuries when I was younger, but I definitely know some guys that did. And I guess having that knowledge now, you're going to be in a position where guys, like you say, if they've got the correct knowledge, they're not going to go through what you went through and will be able to, to stay in the sports that they love. Yeah, absolutely. And I just think, you know, the, the best, the way to get better at playing sport is to play that sport. Um, and, I feel S and C as a as a as a whole, or as a almost like an industry, or as a as a, as a facet of your performance, maybe um, 
it's it's a way in which you can facilitate the performance and, and be on the pitch or court or whatever it is more. Um, and you know you can hopefully get some performance games out of it as well. But the one big thing for me that SNC gives you is that resilience and hopefully that tolerance to injury, and and even just that that kind of training science behind it so that you do know what you're doing in a, in a gym and you're capable of a pitch doing speed stuff and that you're fit enough to, to kind of do it and avoid that injury and improve performance at the same time. Yeah, and I think you nailed it on the head there. It's that knowledge, isn't it? You've got to know exactly what you're, what's going on and, and how you're developing that. Um, so, yeah, I think... Oh, sorry, there's a little glitch there. Um, yeah, I think you really need to know exactly kind of what's going on and how you're how you can continue to develop. I think one thing for me is I never had the education uh, when I was growing up. And a little bit was I could have gone out and found it, being totally honest, even though I wasn't of the internet generation, like I could have gone and asked people and and got involved. But ultimately, for me, it was, I didn't really know what was going on. Um, so I think from that side of things, having that experience now is going to make a huge difference to young athletes. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's it's worthwhile thinking as well that S&T is a relatively young field. I mean, you know, obviously there's, there's lots of background to it, you know, from that physiology, biomechanics stuff that was being done way, way back, and, you know, even as early as the 30s and things like that, even earlier, obviously. But um, a lot of that stuff wasn't accessible, and and the more we the more we learn in a research setting from the, you know, the universities and all those kind of places, we're learning more and more every day. Yeah. And I think training is a continually evolving process. And so if you'd ask someone 20 years ago what was the best thing to do for X, the answer would be almost certainly very, very different now. And it will be totally different in another 20 years. I have no doubt about that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's always evolving. We're learning so much more from from a multitude of things. You know, we're learning more from pro sport. Because I think things are actually much more open about what they're doing now. Yeah. Lots of national governing bodies. Um who are promoting, you know, education, that sort of stuff, and trying to standardise the industry a little bit, which is a good thing and a bad thing at the same time. Um, and then on the other flip side of things, I think there's lots more people out there who are educated, who are capable of pulling this this kind of um, primary research from universities and physiology and molecular biology and all that kind of thing, and then putting it into an application where this they've found this thing, and now we're going to actually try and and do something with it from a from a training perspective. Yeah. So going to go off tangent I know I sent you a few questions beforehand that we will probably touch on but I'm interested on that bit so I guess it's a it's an obvious question obviously the training gains that are being made now versus 20-30 years ago are pretty substantial are we hitting nearly a point of diminishing return or do you feel like there's still another jump to be made within kind of the training and, and the gains that can be made? I think it's not necessarily the case that the training is is more, well, I mean, training is more effective, I think, but it's kind of like a pendulum effect, I think, that we'll always settle with what's the best thing. I think for a lot, a long time, you know, maybe 20 years ago, people were far too focused on on sort of max strength and things like that. And, you know, we ended up with, with a lot of people being trained like powerlifters who, who were not, who were not powerlifters. And, and now, you know, which is, I think is a good thing. I think there's a big swing back towards kind of being, you know, speed kills and that sort of stuff, especially for an invasion sport. 
um, and being quick is a good thing. We're moving away from any sort of you have to do exercises, you know, A, B, C, and D, because actually if that doesn't suit the athlete, then you don't do those exercises. And I think that's that's something that, that the industry has swung back towards. You know, it's important to do strength work on a variety of loading parameters and lots of stuff in different times of the season. But I think there's more scope for individuality now. Um, and it'll be very interesting to see where this goes. I mean, you know, there's lots of people, sh- you know, shouting about genetic testing and, and how that's going to be the thing that's going to drive performance. You know, if you're, you know, this particular genome, then we might train you in this way. What, you know, is that now any use? Unsure, but that could be a, a way the industry goes. Or we're we looking at tracking things, you know, like a live feed in terms of how much oxygen do you have in your mm. in your quads mm. during a, during a conditioning session. We can really individualize training that way. But then again, it's always extrapolating that out to high performance sport. And how can you do that if you have a group of thirty athletes in a room at any one time? You can't fix them all up with monitors. Yeah, there's cost, there's just logistics, there's all that kind of stuff. But you know, you think about it. We can now quantify running stuff with GPS, which is a really useful tool that's being used at a lot of pro clubs. And we can look at, you know, have you hit, you know, velocity max at any any point in your in your training? You may want to top that up or make sure you're hitting that, for example, for an invasion sport athlete once every week to two weeks, depending on the person and their outputs. So I think there's lots of things that we can do now. Are humans any different? Obviously not. Um, are we getting hold of people earlier? Absolutely. And is it that that's causing the the, the advance in, in human performance? Who knows? Yeah, because I think going back to something like uh, big and tall through rowing, um, yeah. I have a friend who kind of was actually a part of that process uh, and actually ended up rowing a little bit for GB. Uh, never quite made the Olympics, but he's still rowed. He's still managed to get in the boat and stuff. And you know, he just came from a swim background, uh, was part of the Redgrave scheme. So, I mean, he's now an exceptional director of rowing, like unbelievable rowing coach. Um, but yeah, those kind of things are, and actually how can that, I guess the difficulty is then what does, what does the perfect athlete look like when it comes to individual sports? Because if you, being completely selfish from a hockey point of view, I think, Yes, there's probably ideals, but there are so many other attributes to size, weight, all those sorts of things. Like it's just such a a range within hockey, um, which yeah, I don't know if you could do it. Maybe I'm not sure. I would I would always argue that the the person that is the best ideal for the sport is the one that is best at their sport. I mean, I don't you know you look at two of the best footballers in modern time. You got Messi and Ronaldo. They are two completely different builds, playing styles, everything. You know, Ronaldo is tall, strong, fast. Not that Messi's not fast or strong, but you know, you look at those two those two players, and they're completely different. And but what is what is most similar about them is they are phenomenal at playing football, and that is actually the most important thing. You know, what's your sporting IQ, mm. um, and that is the most important thing. <clears throat> you know, would which I'll give another example now. Uh, let's just go into the sport I probably know most about, which is probably rugby. Look at Cheslin Colby, the South African winger. He's one of the best wings in the world at the moment. And then we can compare him to Julian Sabe, who was, you know, he's come off the board a little bit now, who's the New Zealand wing. Those two guys, uh, Colby is around 75, 78 kilos, I believe. Mm. You know, Sabe was almost 115. And so there's a huge disparity in size. Both of them are phenomenal at their sport. <clears throat> but 
that's what's most important. They're, obviously, they're, they're good in different ways. You know, probably run around you and sort of run through you. But they both have that. They both had that understanding of the game that allowed them to play the same sport, the same position at the same level. And the one, the thing that uh, they have most in common is both of them are phenomenal playing rugby. Yeah, uh, that's that's what people kind of do, and it was certainly a mistake I made as a beginning coach. I was like, right, you know. You, will get you bigger and stronger and faster and all that sort of stuff. And then you're going to be better at your sport. But, if, you know, actually being better at your sport is being better at your sport. It doesn't necessarily matter how, don't get me wrong, being bigger, stronger, faster, fitter, able to jump higher, do all those things is massively important and, and can be really beneficial to performance. But will it fundamentally change you as a sports person? You could argue that no. Will it keep you on the pitch? Hopefully, Yes. I think that's obviously a huge thing. Yeah. I just want to stay on this topic with just with one more point, really. I think there was a phase um, with hockey goalkeepers, and I think it's still a little bit now, is actually people wanting the, the really tall goalies and everything else. And actually, you've got somebody like Vincent Van Asch, who's arguably the best goalkeeper in the world uh, on the men's game. And what, he's 5'11", 6, maybe 6'1", at a push. Um but in England, for a long time, we were looking for the six four, six five goalies because Simon Mason was, you know, the best goalie in England. Went to three Olympics. He was six four, six five. Like people thought, oh, that's what a good goalie looks like. And actually, yeah, games changed. Uh, and I think it's yeah. So I just kind of wanted to chuck that little bit in uh, whilst we were just kind of rounding off that topic. Um, so. What is Locker Twenty Seven? Uh, you said it. You know, it deals with the, you know, your, your Saturday guys all the way through to elite guys to youth academy programs. Like, what? What is the nuts and bolts of it? So, trying the best way to describe it. So, we like to think of Locker Twenty Seven as a performance facility that's open for everyone. Um. So, you know, it's the kind of it's the kind of facility where. You have access to all the kit that guys you will use at the top, top level, which, let's, let's face it, 99% of the time isn't anything radical, but it's the stuff that you, do, you still don't find in your quote-unquote commercial gyms. So, you know, we have plenty of, plenty of space, sprints, you know, uh, places to do, to weight lift and to actually kind of throw some tin around and actually do what we, what we would term good physical development work rather than sitting on a cross train or a pec deck or something along those lines, you know, not to say there's anything wrong with that, but from a, a performance standpoint, it's not necessarily the best way to go about it. And a lot of, a lot of times there's no access, or there's very limited access to that style of facility. Mm. And I think that was one of the fundamental things of Locker was to open up strength and conditioning as a, as a, as a way to train to, to everyone. Because, I mean, 10 years ago, S&C was, was a very kind of niche thing. If you told someone that you were an S&C coach 10 years ago, I don't think anyone would have really known what you're talking about. Um, whereas nowadays, it's a, it's a very, very common um, job. There's, you know, there's plenty of undergraduate degrees, there's plenty of postgraduate degrees in it, and there's a huge uptake in that kind of knowledge of what S&C is. You can ask your average sports fan, they'll probably understand what you're talking about if you use the acronym. Mm. So Locker was very, very individual, and it came well before that CrossFit wave where those facilities are actually now much more commonplace where there's space, you can drop the bars, the, you know, the, the weights and bars are of high quality designed to be dropped, the flooring is right, the space is right, and no one's going to 
going mentally for dropping away. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so I think that was the that was kind of opening it up. One of the foundational principles of Locker was the academy, and that was that youth development side of things. Um, and that's a, I think it's a thing that's only exacerbated. But at the time when when Matt and it, when Matt sort of set up the gym, I think he was looking at kids from a you know from a movement perspective and their movement what we term movement IQ can they run can they jump can they throw can they organize their bodies in a, in a good way it was potentially decreasing and I think it, it probably still is as a global scale kids are more sedentary than they've ever been uh, there's more distractions there's more sort of indoor things and and there's much more control from a parent's point of view you know that we don't see we don't see as much play I think um, yeah, and I, being in schools, I've definitely seen a change. But I, I also think there's a little bit of, I don't know, is there maybe not enough in terms of like even a little bit of technical detail on like how to move, how to do things? Like you think PE back in the day, like it was very regimented. It was like this is how you do things, da 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 da, and now it's maybe a little more game sense, games for understanding, like all that side of things. So we talk about the technical side from a, a skills perspective in hockey, but how many people actually are taught running mechanics, are taught throwing mechanics, are taught like these core values or these fundamentals? Like, and yeah, I'd argue maybe not enough. I'm not, I'm in senior school, so I don't I don't know what's going on in younger levels. So I don't want to offend anyone by saying this. I've got no, I don't know what's going on, but I have seen a shift in uh, physical literacy, for one of a yeah, better I mean, phrase. We work mostly with our schools programs. We work um, almost exclusively with sort of senior schools. We have some younger kids in the academy, but they're few and far, few and further between. Um, and again, most of the work we do is is with senior schools. But you know, we get these kids in in year seven, and we we we're lucky enough that we've got very good relationships with especially one school, and we've been able to see kids go through from that year seven right the way through to leaving leaving the school at kind of finishing finishing A levels, and it's maybe it's part of me being maybe a little bit kind of biased, but I think there's a big difference in terms of the kids that go from, and we have them for that kind of like five, seven year stretch, there's there's an obvious difference in the kids that have done several year, at least several years with us. And then they come into sort of, we do some game sessions and some and some kind of PE lessons as well. And the guys that come in, they're, they're much more competent at their, their movements and stuff like that because they've had high quality coaching for a number of years. And that might only be once a week for sort of 45 minutes in a morning session. But they're able to, to organize their limbs, they're able to do stuff. And there's also the thing that moving away from like a performance and a play point of view, I, I fully believe that most kids leaving school, they're not necessarily not sport isn't for everyone. And that is totally fine. But these kids are going to be doing, they need to do something obviously in terms of their physical activity. Mm. So they don't become completely sedentary. And what are most people going to do after they finish sport at school, if they don't continue on through university or through a, through an amateur league or, or wherever, they're probably going to use the gym and and being confident in the gym being confident in the gym is, is a huge thing for us and can you can you deadlift back squat bench press overhead press chin-ups whatever you can look at a program and go i know what those things are and i'm confident that i can do those things 
And we're confident that these guys are, are happy with loading parameters. They can read sets and reps. They understand tempos. They understand, and they also understand how to organize trading. They hopefully have some ability to look at something and go, hmm, not sure about that. So education is a huge thing for us, not just from a, a performance background, but also from a, I hate the phrase, but like an everyday kind of gym user background as well. You know, do they understand what's, what's good and what's bad and what they should and shouldn't do in those situations? So they're going to be there. Mm. So, so knowing that then, and you you spent a lot of time uh, in a school working across different programs and you understand the needs of the athlete, what would you say then if you were to pick out a couple of main focus areas like for gains to be made within hockey players? So obviously there's so many things that people could make gains on, um, almost infinite in terms of uh, from head to toe, there's going to be something which people can make you know, gains and improvements on. But specifically for a, hockey, a young hockey player, so kind of, 14, 15, 16, just starting to get involved in, uh, and understanding actually if I do make these physical gains, I'm going to be better, stronger, faster, all these sorts of things. Like, What would you say are the big, uh, the main kind of top three kind of gains that would be important? Yeah, so I think the main sort of gains that can be made, I think, for a hockey player specifically are a, a probably kind of speed would be first and foremost, <clears throat> and also just the fitness as well would be huge. So if you talk about speed and fitness, and fitness is a tough one because it encompasses such a huge amount of stuff. But if you're talking about the ability to repeat things and not be blowing, blowing out your bum by the end of the game or after a few hard efforts and the ability to recover from those efforts are really, really useful because what it allows people to do is, is actually maintain a high level of performance in terms of being fitter, for want of a better phrase. Um, and obviously I think you know in an invasion sport like hockey being quicker is always going to be a benefit. How you get quicker is, is you know, up to debate. I mean, some sort of, to a certain extent, strength will really, really help that. But where I think for a hockey player, like a strength element is probably my third, my third thing. That's the thing that will allow you to, to keep playing, be more sort of physically dominant. I think that's really, really important as well. The ability to move a bit of load and be a, and be a bit more combative, I think, is, is, a, is a huge advantage. And also, you know, you if you you can be super quick and super fit, but if you if you're kind of you know uh, physically weak at that same time, number one you're going to get pushed off of stuff. Uh, number two, chances are you're going to break at some point, and that's really where for me like in a sport of hockey where you know there aren't necessarily these huge collisions, but you still got to be strong. You still got to protect yourself. It's not like a rugby like a big boom type impact but there's an awful lot of I mean they happen still <laughs> running into people you know you're like you might be trying to hit people with your shoulder but you're gonna get hit at some point and can you ride those challenges and are you strong enough we see so many young hockey players who've got you know their backs are sore um they're super tight here they're super weak there and and I think an awful lot of that can be tidied up with with some basic kind of strength work so it's a hard, it's a hard question, but those three things of, of strength, fitness, and uh, and speed, they all interlink with each other as well. I think speed is such a massive thing. Yeah. The difference isn't what you do, kind of twenty to thirty meters. It's the first five. If you can accelerate and de and decelerate, and I think that's where another aspect where I guess the strength 
comes into it, if you can yeah. decelerate quick enough, like you're going to be that much harder to to deal with because you can get to even from and this isn't just a, an offensive piece. You can get there and then you can decelerate well enough to then be able to make the tackle, to put them under pressure, not get beat. Simple things like that. So, yeah, I think I'm with you on that. I think speed is massive. Yeah, and if you look at the forces associated with, you know, accelerating, decelerating, even some top speed running and stuff like that, and cutting movements, so sidestepping, etc., the force required is, is huge. And actually the ability to put yourself in good shapes so that you can move more effectively. And again, that's where it all ties back in with that strength work and that time you spend in the gym. You know, by the nature of what we do in the gym, everything is to a certain extent non-specific. And it would be something I'd really say to young players, <clears throat> don't chase this super specific hockey, hockey program. Become a well-rounded athlete. Build that base of technical competency and movement IQ. Do loads of exercises, do them in a load of different ways. Don't chase specificity too early. Because what will happen then is you're just trying to build on, on no base. And again, that's where actually you, you come into that diminishing returns in terms of your strength work. Um, and again, but all those things feed back into each other, like your, your speed work will to a certain extent help you cut better. Um, strength work will help you decelerate better to help you cut better, but it will also help you to produce more force to accelerate quicker at the same It all kind of ties back in together. And then that fitness sits as an all-encompassing thing, especially for a sport like hockey. Guys are covering, you know, at the top level, 10, 12, 10, 12K a game. You know, that's an enormous distance in not a lot of time. And the speed at which they're covering that, that distance is, is phenomenal. Okay, it's intermittent, but, you know, if you were to average that out, that's a quick 10K. Yeah, really quick. <laughs> yeah, that is, yeah, you're not wrong there at all. And I think, yeah, there's just so many things within hockey where I think it's all, I almost feel, and which is why I want to talk about the younger athlete, uh, <laughs> Tom Millington's just popped up uh, and said, hi, guys. Hi, Tom. How are we doing? <laughs> Good to have you with us. Um, so for me, yeah, if I feel like people leave it too late, is my opinion, and people wait until they're, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get strong when I get to uni or like upper sixth or whatever. And actually, for me, I think that detail needs to come in sooner, if I'm being honest. And I think this kind of, leads into my next question for you really is what would you say the the do's and don'ts are for somebody you know young athlete just starting to get into their gym work like what what would you say that looks like the kind of main do's and don'ts yeah i mean just going very quickly back to to your point there people leaving it too late i mean just as a quick aside we have kids as young as eight and nine in our academy are they doing what the adults are doing of course they're not and they, they never should be but are they learning their basic movement IQ that I've been talking about? Then, then yeah, they are, and they're, they're beginning, and then they can actually progress faster because they have a foundation already, and they also understand that environment, and they are safe in that environment, so you're, you're happier putting them in there. But going back sorry, to, your, to your do's and don'ts, um, like I mentioned before, one of my big don'ts would be don't, don't chase that specificity. You see it a lot. Um, with a variety of sports, with a variety of everything. And, and this isn't just with kids. People look at your top performers in the world. Um, and again, kids do this, adults do this. They look at your top performers in the world and they go, so-and-so does this, I'm going to do that. What people forget is that you aren't them. And you haven't had that X amount of years of training before that. You know, guys at the top of their game, you'd imagine, are probably somewhere between the ages of 20 and 35. 
So as a young athlete starting at 13, you should not be doing the same sort of level of stuff that they're doing. There's always going to be those freaks like we were talking about before we came on. But um, I think that's one of my big don'ts is, is do what's right for you. Don't try and pick the things that are right for that elite performer because you're not there yet. You may well be there, and that's cool. And I, and you know, fingers crossed that those players will make it to where they want to be. But don't try and emulate those things that they're doing from a physical perspective. Like do you first, <clears throat> and then move on. Um, a, a big do as well is is variety. Don't don't be stuck in the um, in the old school approach of you know I need to squat, bench, and deadlift, and they're the three exercises I need to do. Are they useful exercises for certain athletes? Absolutely, they are. I mean, but don't feel like you need to shift <coughs> excuse me, the most weight possible. Don't feel like you need to bench press the most weight possible. Do what's right for you as an athlete, but also do lots of different things. I think, you know, be good on one leg, be good at jumping and throwing and sprinting and, and lifting and lifting lots of reps for some times and, and higher some, but you want to be a player that hits university, hits academies, hits professional league with this massive toolbox of exercises that I can go into. And I know that if my coach particularly likes this type of movement or this type of training, that's cool. I've done that before. I can do that. So that would be a huge do. Be varied and do lots of things. Don't be stuck. And also don't be just stuck doing strength work, but do not ignore it. You know, ignore it at your peril as well, but it shouldn't be your, your, your fixation. You know, make your training athletic. Don't train like a bodybuilder. Don't train like a powerlifter because you are neither of those things if you're a hockey player. Yeah, definitely. That's going to detriment to your, to your performance rather than this, this potentially huge advantage. Hmm. I think that point there leads on really nicely. Tom's just uh, chucked a question in. Um, he said, question for you boys. Are different positions required to have different engines? Uh, a bit like rowing. You put your powerhouse in the middle, defenders, uh, where you would put your powerhouse in the middle. Should defenders and strikers, for example, have uh, be training differently? I think in a perfect world, yes, because the, the demands are quite different. Mm-hmm. You, look, you, you look at the breakdowns of hockey game and, and players will move different distances at different speeds and then you have to kind of make sure that, you know, if your defender's lacking a yard of pace, it might not be the, the worst thing. It, you know, it's not it's not necessarily a deal breaker. If their positioning is superb and they're and they're technically proficient and they're fit enough to kind of do it. <clears throat> if you've got a striker maybe who who does that, that yard of pace might be the difference between making the ball and not. <clears throat> As an example, I mean, but also I think from a fitness point of view, there does need to be certain aspects where. Guys have more fitness, less fitness, and, and what does that look like? It, you know, you want some diesels in the middle that can just run all day, and certainly like your wingbacks and stuff. Your strikers are probably going to be less fit, potentially. This is not necessarily it's just a very general idea. Mm. They might be less fit, but what's going to benefit them most is that that kind of five meters, as we spoke about earlier. Can they make that break? Can they get to that ball? Can they put themselves in a position to score? Um, and so they're probably going to do more rotations in a game. Um, they're probably going to come on and off a little bit more. So I think, yes, there is a there is a, posi- a positional bias. But if you bring it back to youth, I think in a youth game, everyone should really be able to do everything until you really start to specialise. Um, and I think that's a, that's a big part as well. Yeah, and I, I guess the only other one for me that would need maybe a little bit more TLC 
is your drag flickers. I think yeah. they're ones which are going to need particularly hip issues and knee issues. They're going to need that real strength and stability in those joints more so purely because of the biomechanics and the motion. Like they're going to need that. Yeah. Hips, knees, lower back. Like if that's not in good Nick, you're going to, sh- you won't be able to maintain being a flicker for a long time, but I also think you won't be able to flick as quick. Whereas if you've got that, that core strength, that rotation stability, all those sorts of things, you will be able to flick quicker and therefore score more goals. So yeah, yeah. if you look at the position that that gets you into, is it's such an extreme position. It's really quite individual to, to hockey. It's fine. You don't see that position pop up much. Um, you know, you need to make sure that you're, you're if you, that's what you do, you, you don't want to be at the end of your range when you're performing that particular skill. Huh. Like if that's if that's as far as you've got and you're running into that red zone, you don't want to be there too often. So you need to make sure you have the adequate range of those joints and you're able to organise yourself, like you say, into a into a good shape, capable of producing force. And it's not a question necessarily of not getting hurt, but actually performing better. Is that ball going to come out faster? Yeah, and I think the only the only thing I can really liken it to is almost a, is a javelin thrower. Yeah, because yeah. of Okay, the, it's that shoulders, arms follow, and actually, if you look at drag flicker, it is a very similar motion, obviously up in the air rather than on the ground, but I think for me, that's the only position, which I, the only other sport I've been able to liken it to. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's kind of a lot, if we're talking about those extreme sporting movements, I think one of the big ones is baseball pitching yeah, and fast bowling in cricket. You know, look at the forces and the angles and stuff like that. And the best people in the world are the guys that are able to organize themselves into a certain shape. And this is for those extreme positions that you find in sport, drag flipping, bowling, pitching. Um, if you are capable of organizing yourself, producing forces in those positions, it's, it can be a real game changer. Um, because the positions are extreme because you have all this rotational force and, and all that sort of stuff. And it puts a lot of stress on, on a lot of things. Mm. Um so yeah, it's a it's a it's a very interesting position to kind of think about. But I, I would, in terms of training for it, again, it's making sure can you actually get into those positions and and not be like, oh god, how do I get up from this? Like, <laughs> That'd be me I, coming out of lockdown. That's going to be my uh, <laughs> yeah, my flicking I mean, is going to be in a world of pain. <laughs> as a, a non hockey player, you know that that position is is pretty extreme. Mm. Yeah. Uh, one, Tom, I'm going to come on to your question in a minute, mate. I've just seen it. I'm not. I'm not ignoring you. Uh, so, what are? And this kind of ties in. What would you say your top five tips on injury prevention are? Uh, top five. I mean, it's recovery is a big one. Making sure that you're not just smashing yourself day in day out. I think, uh, again, for hockey players, there's still a bit of a pervasive thing of, of strength work. Maybe, you know, it's that classic, like, strength will make me slow type stuff. But don't neglect that. There's that force output and that, that ability of your muscles to actually produce force because if your muscles are capable of producing more, capable of absorbing more. And that's a big thing for me. Um, not neglecting your top speed running. So making sure that, you know, especially in this, this kind of, like, COVID era where, you know, players aren't with their clubs or aren't with their schools or probably aren't training with their teammates or they shouldn't be. Um, you know, making sure that you're still getting out 
and you're still going through running drills, making sure you're capable of hitting those positions with or without a stick. Um, one of the biggest kind of things that I think we're going to see a lot when people come back is that everyone's going to go hammer and tong, like fully out there, out there training. Because everyone's desperate to get back and, and that sort of stuff. And I think we will see a, a lot of injuries when we come back for those people that aren't prepared enough for that return. So things like making sure you're doing some high-speed running and that you're, you're doing some cutting and some, some cone runs and stuff like that and you're running at different angles, you're, learning, you're keeping decelerating, keeping accelerating. So getting out and actually running, I think, is going to be a huge thing. Um, where am I with that? So that's what, three or four, I think. Yeah, but, um, yeah that's, that's perfect. <laughs> I don't think it's like, of exact ones, but you know, it's a it's a huge topic of, of injury prevention. But I think like keeping up your strength work, keeping up your speed work, and and never being complacent mm. is a big for me. Um, like don't you've always got to keep working. I think, and it's not like, right, cool, I've, I've ticked that box, I don't need to do that, but again, like your body your body goes up and down in waves, like, it's hard, especially for guys at the beginning, their kind of athletic careers and stuff like that, but listen to your body, if you're feeling absolutely knackered, then maybe the best, this isn't the best time to go out and hit your maximum speed, you know, yeah. like, listen to your body if, if you understand what your body's telling you, and fueling yourself sufficiently not like bonking and stuff like that you know you're running you're running running, trying to do so much stuff at a really high level of fatigue then you know of course you run the risk of, of injuring yourself more be consistent with your efforts and and one of the other things coming on to that i've just it's something popping into my head is you know moderation is king like always hammering yourself is going to end badly yeah. Never trying, it's really going to end just as badly. Yeah, you know, be polarizing your approach. Some days it might feel really easy, and some days it might feel really, really hard. But you know, medium is is only good in t-shirts. Like, don't want to train polarized, but train train smart. Like, don't always hammer yourself. Don't always be easy. Equally stuck in the middle. Sometimes train hard. Sometimes train easy, and that's generally going to give you a lot of what you need. Yeah, and I think. So Tom's question was um, kind of during lockdown, people are going to be concentrating on their fitness but still need to rest after a block of work uh, and he's concerned that people will struggle to rest properly. Uh, can you just talk about that? And we kind of touched on it a little bit there, but like why rest is just as important as actually doing your training. Massively. You know, you, you can't always like just go, go, go. And I think a lot of the times, especially in this, in this weird kind of COVID era, <clears throat> people have so much more time on their hands. We're like, right, cool, wicked. I'm going to train. And it almost links back to what we were saying before. I'm going to train like the best athlete in the world. And you've got to remember that you're not them, like necessarily. So <laughs> that came out wrong, came out a bit harsh. But no, but even the best athlete in the world is not going to be able to come out of COVID and be like, bang, I'm straight into doing what they be doing. That's mental. Absolutely not. Um, rest is, is so, so important. If you just keep hammering yourself, Eventually, something breaks down. You know, I, I was chatting to another coach the other day, and we were talking about the car analogy. You know, your car probably can do 130, but do you want to drive out there all the time? Of, of course you don't, because things are going to start falling off. Certainly, mine is. Do you know what I mean? Like, you don't want to be just because you can doesn't mean you should. Like, this is an amazing opportunity. You know, if we wanted to, I'm not saying this is a good idea. You could train twice a day, seven days a week, because people do have more time now potentially. Um, just because you can doesn't mean you should. 
like all that's going to happen then is eventually the wheels are going to fall off, the brakes going to fail, and you're going to crash into a tree. You know, um, <laughs> there's. I like the analogy on that. I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's 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 certain pitfalls and stuff like that, but people are desperate to improve, and and that is completely admirable. And you know, you want to. There are those times when you want to push hard, and you you really want to have a big session and all that sort of stuff and that's great but you've got to make sure that you don't just go high 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 all the time right. there's there has to be this this waved approach you know your body doesn't work just by hammering it all the time it you know and that's where injuries occur overuse you know you start to try and do this high intensity session when you're super fatigued you know say for example you've done a big fitness session one day and then you're going to go out and do max sprints and you know change the direction of skill the other the next day or that afternoon or whatever it is you're already fatigued because you haven't recovered from day one or whatever day it is you go into that session you're still trying to go full bore you lose position it, you know and that's that's when bad things can happen so go into your high intensity days fresh don't feel the need to like hammer 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 low intensity days are, are one of the biggest things that people can actually do that's going to make a huge difference to them if your aerobic system and your fitness quote unquote is a is a limiting factor now. Now is the time to not again go out and run, you know, gases all the time and run, you know, thirty three hundreds. Go out and spend some time in that that good base block, lowish heart rate. Accumulate some time there because the better developed your aerobic system is, it's one of the most trainable systems in the body. And we don't normally, as games athletes, get a chance to train it all that often. We don't get this big block of time. Now's a superb time to just spend some time getting fit as hell, and then you're able to. To actually repeat efforts better because you're more capable of feeding oxygen back into that system. You know, it's, it's one of those things that's missed massively, and it doesn't have to be running. It, you know, spending time on a bike, jumping on a rowing machine, even just do body weight style circuits if you don't have access to kit or space. There's a huge number. There's a plethora of ways in which you can do this kind of like base type training. Mm. And should it should it kind of be all of your training? Absolutely not. But this is a fantastic time to get aerobically really strong still work on the kind of things we were talking about earlier so still work on your speed stuff don't go back to your first training and sprint if you haven't and sprint 100% if you've not got out of third gear and coach has got a massive you know? responsibility there coach has got a huge responsibility to not be like the moment lockdown fully clears to just be like right we're doing full bit like just going nuts on it people have got to look after athletes and so coaches we've got a massive responsibility on that I couldn't agree more, and it's you know if a club or anything like that has a has the advantage of having an SNC, that's where the SNC needs to come in and talk to that coach and go, look, I know you're desperate to get going. You might only have six weeks before your first game or whatever it is back in this back in the league, or, or you know, but that's where coaches and SNCs they need to either come together if they if they have that relationship or if it's just a coach, he needs to think about it and be like, I can hammer them now, and I'm probably going to lose a chunk of my squad. Mm. And, and let's be honest, the athlete is by far and away the most important thing. And the athlete longevity, as we were speaking about earlier, like with my knee and stuff like that, that was not to do with coach. But athlete longevity and and things like that is actually the, the, the most important thing. Your athlete has to come first. I mean, there's always this idea of winning at all costs, and that's fine. But even if you look at it from that angle, you're going to be more likely of winning with, a, with all of your squad that are three-quarter trained than the 50% of your squad that survived, you know, 100% trained. 
Yeah, you're better off having your full forward players because you know you got you got your star striker or your star midfield player, and you break them in the first two weeks of preseason because you 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 know they haven't done anything and you're desperate to hammer them to get them get them ready. You're shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah, and I, I remember. So I remember going back to the Borlays rowing co- um, the yeah the rowing coach which I spoke about before. He basically said, "I'm preparing my guys to be ready for Henley Regatta." Like that was it. He was like, their whole time from year eight to year thirteen is can they survive the month of training so that they get are ready to survive Henley? And he was like, they, yeah. "It's not even getting them ready to." Be in the race is to survive that last month of the hardest training they'll ever go through so that they taper exactly the right time to then win Henley and he won it four out of the five years that he entered it or something so and it worked you know I have to prepare guys not necessarily for the race itself but can you can you even survive the training and that's a huge thing so we talk about the locker academy one of our big things especially for our younger guys we're training to train we're not, we're not looking to, you know, get a nine-year-old back squatting 100 kilos or, or something ridiculous, you know. It's, it's not about that. It's like, cool, do you, do you understand what you're being asked to do and can you do certain things well and all that sort of stuff. You know, it's it very much training to train and then you start to, to build into the train to perform as people get more mature. And, you know, these, you know, they're coming into the school at, you know, 12, 13 for your rowing coach and they've got five, six, seven years potentially of training for this one thing, and you know, it's not a, it's not a bad way of looking at it because they're going to, they're obviously going to be competing all the way through there. But there's this big thing of like, I need you to be able to survive this because if you don't, then we can't we can't race. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, right, final question, and it's a bit of a quick fire one, um, and this is one that's interesting for me um, because I, I came into kind of doing SNC and gym stuff late, so it's kind of an interesting one bit personal to me but actually I think it's going to help a lot of guys out um like gyms can be like scary when you first walk in like there's all this equipment there's loads of stuff going on and you're like how do you even start and so you know for someone who's just getting started what's the best way to find kind of like a program or advice for young athletes starting out like from a program perspective so they walk in and they feel confident like okay they're let's say they're 16 17 they're going into a gym like where can they find like good programs to, so they know how to start uh, if they're not fortunate enough to to go to locker um or if they are and you guys can provide something like what does how can you help them out oh, do you know what? that's actually a, a really good question and a really tough one to answer in a lot of ways because the one of the issues with fitness stuff is there is an enormous amount of misinformation out there um, and assuming this, this you know, the hypothetical kid has been has is competent at the gym and all that sort of stuff. Look for programs that are based around athletic preparation. I think one of the big things is there's so, like I said, there's so many programs and articles and websites and stuff that's dedicated to the, all the stuff that potentially an athlete won't get any benefit from, you know, seven ways to put two inches on your arms or whatever it is. That's not that useful. You know, going in and spending an hour and a half doing bicep curls, it could be great fun, but it's, it's not going to help you as a hockey player. So look for programs that it doesn't necessarily have to be hockey specific. Um, it's probably, you know, look for a program that 
that has elements of speed work, agility work, strength work. Um, if you're looking at obviously just the strength thing, we're talking about the gym specifically. Again, try and look for those programs that are talking about being athletic and not getting bigger. Or, you know, you know, some people might need to put a bit of size on, but that's probably going to be more down to nutrition type stuff than anything else. Look for stuff that encourages athleticism rather than bodybuilding or powerlifting or stuff like that. Look for a sports program, not necessarily, like I say, that kind of the stuff that you see most, which is predominantly that bodybuilding type stuff. You know, you see it all over. Information has been ne- information has never been easier to get. And I feel the quality of information just by saturation has never been lower in a lot of in a lot of ways. You know, it, it takes two seconds to go onto Instagram and find an influencer saying, you know, this is the do these top back sessions and stuff like that. And that's, that's cool. Like, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. But that's not going to help your hockey player. Look for athletes doing athletic things. And that doesn't have to be lifting the most weight. It could be jumping the highest, you know, whatever it is. But it's, it's a really big thing that I feel quite strongly about is the access to, to rubbish information has, has never been higher. Um, Equally, the access to good information has never been higher either. There are loads of really, really good programs out there. Definitely. Not a huge amount of money, but equally, they're just snowed under all this, all this rubbish that you see um, from, a, from a fitness influencer standpoint. And, you know, there's, now everyone's got a phone with a camera. There's, there's no requirement to, to have any form of education. No quality you know. control is there? None at all. Um. None at all. But yeah, I've loved what you guys have been doing on your uh, Instagram and loving your workouts and stuff. I think they've been really cool. So I think anybody kind of looking to start out should definitely head over to to Locker's Instagram um, and check it out. I think there's some really cool stuff on there. And I think, um, uh, I guess if they want information about Locker, they can go, they can contact you guys directly uh, through the Instagram um, to be able to yeah, find out a little bit more information. Or my, my email is just joe, J-O-E, at locker27.com. It's a pretty easy one to remember. If anyone has any queries or anything like that, just ping me a message, message us on the Instagram, or um, send us an email. Our info, our info account that's on the uh, on the website that's available, this is a message button. People are more than welcome to, to kind of just send us any queries or questions that they might have about really anything related to sort of athletic development, youth, adult, whatever it is. Nice. Mate, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, it's been really cool, and there's some real gems out there. I'm really looking forward to to actually listening back myself and going back through it because I think there's some real gems, and I think there's some really decent stuff to pick out. So, thank you so much for your time. It's been a real pleasure, um, and, I, and I look forward to catching up with you soon, buddy. Yeah, nice one. Cheers. Happy season.